0: From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Understanding Islam from an Evangelical Perspective. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with Joseph Cumming, pastor of the International Church at Yale University. Today's conversation is brought to you by the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Worldwide, six million Alliance believers in 20,000 churches exalt and proclaim Jesus in 180 languages and dialects. Each year, tens of thousands of people find true hope and joy for this life and the next through the loving outreach of the Alliance. Learn more at CMAlliance.org. And now, let's join in.
1: I'm Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, here with Joseph Cumming. Joseph's academic background is impressive. He holds a bachelor's degree in religion from Princeton University, a Master of Divinity with a concentration in cross-cultural studies from Fuller Theological Seminary, a Master of Arts and a Master of Philosophy from Yale University, and he is completing his PhD at Yale in Islamic Studies and Christian Theology. Joseph lived in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania for 15 years where he served as director of Dulas Community, a Christian humanitarian organization. He speaks fluent Arabic as well as several other languages, and he is an ordained Christian minister in the Assemblies of God, which is a member denomination of the NAE. Joseph and his wife Michelle currently work with Muslim, Christian, and Jewish leaders and scholars in the Middle East. He also serves as pastor of the International Church at Yale University. He knows Islam on an academic level and through years in relationship with Muslims, and he comes with a distinctly evangelical perspective. So he is highly qualified to guide us in this conversation on understanding Islam. Thanks for being with us, Joseph.
2: Thank you, Leith, and thanks to the uh, NAE for uh giving attention to the Muslim world.
1: So first, uh, tell us about your work with leaders and scholars in the Middle East.
2: Well, this uh, began in the 1990s during the years my wife and I were working in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania as we began to develop relationships with Muslim leaders who had um, never encountered an Arabic-speaking Christian before, not that there aren't others, but that they hadn't met them. And uh, who wanted to simply ask questions about what Christians believe, and um, as I began to try to respond in a way that was uh, both respectful to what, to who they were and their, and, and their faith, and uh, tried faithfully to represent uh, our faith, I began to get more and more invitations like that. And since 9/11, that's accelerated greatly. Where um, I've had the privilege of uh, getting to know some of the most senior Muslim religious leaders and scholars around the world, uh, and being invited to speak at some of the most prominent uh, Islamic institutions around the world, and to do interviews on Al Jazeera, and uh, that sort of thing.
1: Now, what about the International Church at Yale University? Tell us about that, and uh, how is it international?
2: Well, it's a a small uh, outreach to international students and scholars uh, and their families who come to Yale from all around the world. Um, it's not uh, it's not uh, uh, funded by the university. It's an independent evangelical church that is um, allowed to meet on the university campus. And um, it's uh, most of our members are from China and uh, other East Asian countries, but we have members from all over the world. And it's, a, it's an opportunity to create uh, Uh, an environment that is welcoming to people from all kinds of different cultures, including, of course, uh, uh, Muslim scholars who come from around the world to Yale who are interested in interacting in a constructive way with Christians.
1: Joseph, you have thoroughly studied the Quran, and I'm going to ask you a few questions here that I know are impossible to briefly answer, but how would you summarize its main message or teaching? Maybe tell us some of the distinctions between historic Biblical Christianity and Islam?
2: Well, I think my Muslim friends would want me to say that the main message of the Quran is twofold. One, that there is no God except the one God, and second, that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Uh, as I read it as a Christian, uh, I, I see its central message being uh, turn away from worshiping idols, Turn to worshiping the one God who created the universe, who is the same God worshipped by Christians and Jews. Uh, Turn away from sin, prepare for God's eschatological uh, judgment. That's sort of the the heart of the message of the Qur'an, as as I understand it, as I read it. Um, And, of course, uh, what I've said there is something that Christians, of course, can uh, strongly agree with. There are nonetheless some very, very important distinctions between the message of the Qur'an as traditionally understood by Muslims and historic Biblical Christianity. Um, uh, Christians, of course, believe that the one God who created the universe is ultimately manifest in the incarnation uh, in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus uh, laid down his life for us in love on the cross to atone for the sins of the world and, and rose again from the dead and that uh, the one God is triune. Uh, now, Muslims generally understand the Qur'an to deny precisely those points. They generally, let's say 99.9% of Muslims see the Qur'an as saying that the one God is not triune, that the one God, uh, although they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, that they read the Qur'an specifically says that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the word of God, that he did miracles, that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead. Nonetheless, Muslims traditionally understand the Qur'an as saying he's not the son of God. He is not God incarnate And that he did not die on the cross and therefore uh, his death did not atone for the sins of the world um, Muslims also generally again now about 99% of Muslims understand the Qur'an is saying that the text of the Bible has been changed So that although in its original form it was the Word of God uh, They believe it no longer is now I actually think that um, that is not necessarily how the Quran needs to be interpreted on those points. And uh, part of my work as a scholar, which you can see on my website, a uh, number of articles I've published on www.josephcoming.com, is that uh, many Muslim, very prominent and influential Muslim scholars through the centuries have inter- interpreted the Quran differently on those points. But uh, regardless of that, uh, let's just acknowledge Those are not just small distinctions. The Trinity, the Incarnation, the Cross, and the integrity of the Bible is, from the Christian point of view, not just extremely important. These are the things on which our salvation depends uh, from the Christian point of view. So these are, although we have a lot in common with Muslims, there are also some very, very important distinctions to be recognized.
1: A frequent discussion point comes up on whether Christians and Muslims and Jews all believe in the same God. So as a scholar, as a friend, how do you respond to people when that issue comes up?
2: Yeah, so um, that is a question I do get constantly asked when I speak in churches in this country. Um, Let me first, it's got multiple uh, layers to it, so let me answer some pieces. First of all, Um, People want to know is it okay uh, to refer to God as Allah and I think that's a simple question because uh, Arabic-speaking Christians and Jews were referring to God as Allah centuries before Muhammad was born century before Islam was Founded there is no other word in Arabic for God And if you read any Christian translation of the Bible in Arabic You'll see it says for Allah so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so I think that's um, that's sort of a, a, a an unfounded concern, and even uh, you know, in the Aramaic language, which which Jesus spoke, which is cognate to Arabic, the word for God, Allah, is what Jesus said on the cross when he said, Allahi, Allahi lama Um A second question. So, 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 I think that is a uh, that, that's something we don't need to be worried about, but. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that what we mean by God and what Muslims mean by God is the same thing. And, and in answer to the, to the question, do are we worshiping the same God, I think the answer has to be uh, yes and no, but mostly yes. Now let me unpack that. Yes in one sense, no in another sense. Yes in the sense that uh, Muslims are seeking to worship the one God, the only God who created the universe and who will judge us at the last day. Christians are seeking to worship the one God, the only God, who created the universe, who will judge us at the last day. There cannot be two different one gods who are two different gods who created the universe and two different uh, eschatological, eschatological judges. But by by, by, by by the inherent nature, the meaning of those words, we can only be referring to one God. There are not two different gods competing for that job. Um, at the same, so, so that's the sense in which, of course, yes, the answer is yes. But in another sense, the answer is no, in the sense that what Muslims understand God to be like and what Christians understand God to be like uh, is different in some very important ways. And I've you know, mentioned that already, that Christians understand uh, God to be uh, triune. Uh, Christians understand uh, that one triune God is having revealed himself ultimately in the incarnation in the person of Jesus Christ, and as having shown his love toward us in the death and resurrection of Christ. And Muslims generally, I'm generalizing about 99% of Muslims, would would disagree with that. And so, and, and as I said, those are not just obscure minor differences. Those are differences which, from the Christian standpoint, we believe is are necessary to salvation. So in that sense, our understanding of um, of who God is and how we relate to God is is deeply different. And to say we worship the same God can um, be understood or at least misunderstood as implying those things don't matter. And in fact, I've, uh, I've often observed that when a Christian speaker will say we worship the same God, many Muslims and Christians who hear that said think the speaker is implying the differences over Trinity, Incarnation, and Cross don't matter, and obviously they do matter in a huge way. But finally, I would say, although I say yes in a sense and no in another sense, I say mostly yes, and that is to say uh, most Jews, that is non-Messianic Jews, would take the same view on those issues as Muslims. They would agree with Muslims on, on those issues, and I think there is no theologically or intellectually consistent view basis on which to say Muslims and Christians are worshiping two different gods, but uh, Christians and Jews are worshiping the same god. Uh, if, if you want to claim that Muslims are worshiping a different god because they don't see the god as triune and as incarnate in Christ, then you have to say that Jews are worship, worshiping a different god. And I don't know very many evangelical Christians who would want to assert that Jews are worshiping a different god. Um, and so so I see that as um, uh, that's the reason I say yes and no, but mostly yes.
1: All right, let's 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 talk about something beyond uh, just doctrinal religion. We often hear that Islam is more than a religion in the doctrinal sense, but that it's also a community way of life. So it would be helpful if you would give a brief overview of Islamic communities. How, how are they organized? It's the culture of it? And also it seems that within Islam there are segments, maybe similar to Christians having denominations. So what are they and how do they differ from one another within Islam?
2: Yeah, so that's a tough question to answer briefly, but let me first say that um, that, that Muslims um, will frequently say, and I believe it's correct to say that Islam is more than just a religion in the doctrinal sense, but it's a community way of life. But let's recognize that um, Most disciples of Jesus Christ would say our faith is more than just a religion in the doctrinal sense, but is also an all-encompassing way of life. That Jesus uh, makes a claim on every aspect of our lives, not just on the categories which uh, modern Western society defines as being religion. Um, In fact, most scholars of religion recognize that the concept of religion is, in fact, an relatively artificial. Creation of the uh, Enlightenment and of the uh, of of colonialism. Uh, That said, um, uh, Muslim communities, uh, yeah, you do have uh, a number of uh, they're they're extremely diverse. Uh, You can't really speak of Islamic culture. There are many uh, different Islamic, thousands of different cultures uh, represented by Muslims around the world. I think most. um, Most uh, of our listeners are aware that there are two main major branches of Islam, Sunni Muslims, who are about maybe 84% approximately, give or take, of the Muslims in the world, and the Shia, who are uh, something like about 16% of uh, Muslims in the world. And then each of those is, uh, of course, broken down into smaller denominations, similar to the way Protestantism has uh, has hundreds of thousands of different uh, denominations uh, within it. Um, one of the questions I often get is uh, Sufis I think most uh, American Christians understand that uh, Sufis would be the mystics of Islam who, um, who who tend to put more of an emphasis on uh, a personal relationship with God a love relationship with God seeking union with God um, and um, and I guess well are Sufis Sunni or Shia and that's kind of like saying, are charismatics Protestant or Catholic? The answer is both, right? You have both charismatic Protestants and charismatic Catholics. And similarly, you have um, Sufis who are Sunni and Sufis who are Shia. Um And uh, and um, you also have um, uh, within Sufism a, a wide variety of different uh, subgroups that are called paripas that are similar to uh, Christian denominations. Um, and um, like Christian denominations, you have um, uh, uh, Sufis who are very passionate and devoted to their mysticism and very, very pious and devout, and others who um, it's really just a nominal affiliation. Uh, and if you ask them what's the difference to, between the tariqah you're associated with and this other tariqah, they don't even really know the difference any more than uh, you know, many nominal Christians uh, understand much about the difference between their denomination and, and other ones. Now these Sufi tarifas uh, tend to be headed by a charismatic sheikh, um, and people look to uh, him, usually sometimes her, but usually him, for leadership. Um, uh, and uh, Shia Muslims, particularly, um, uh, well, in generally, Shia groups also have strong leaders that that uh, strong, where where uh, ordinary believers uh, select a scholar um, whom whom. Whom they follow, whose teachings are quite authoritative in their lives. Um, Sunnis are more like uh, Protestants in the sense that um, uh, there's less central authority, although um, Sunni dominated uh, states, governments usually try to appoint one guy to be the main uh, Sufi, uh, sorry, Sunni religious authority for the country, but that's a relatively modern and relatively artificial creation that person is often referred to as the mufti um, for, for Sunni Muslims um, Any religious scholar can give what's called a fatwa, which means basically a formal religious opinion about what's right or wrong and uh, Any individual believer can decide which fatwa they find to be most persuasive probably the most influential uh, institution for Sunni Muslims would be Al-Azhar in Cairo, whose grand imam, Dr. Ahmed Al-Tayyib, is uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, so I have for, for uh, full disclosure there, um, uh, but um, although he is more listened to than any other uh, uh, Sunni leader in the world, probably he doesn't have the authority to impose his views on Muslims generally, uh, so it's, uh, it's less centralized.
1: All right. We've talked about differences within Islam, again, on the doctrinal level, but what about from country to country? So you're, you're an American. You were born and raised in New York City. You spent 15 years in Africa and Mauritania. Um, I was in Mauritania, and one of the cabinet members said, we are a 100% pure Muslim country. So what's the difference between Muslims exercising their faith overseas in a predominantly Muslim country and those who are in the United States or in Europe and how they practice Islam here or in Europe?
2: Well, I'd say there are a few key differences. First of all, you know, the book of James in the New Testament says God has chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith. And you generally find around the world that, uh, that people who have less money tend to be more devout. Um, and, you know, Mauritania is one of the poorer countries in the world, and Mauritanians tend to be more devout um, than their American Muslim co-religionists, in fact, more devout than the average American Christian. Uh, American Christian. Um, And that richer Mauritanians, some of them are quite devout, but some of them are less devout than some of their poorer neighbors. So that's one factor. Uh, A second thing is that um, uh, American Muslims, um, so in America you've got uh, African American Muslims, and then you've got Muslims who are descendants of recent immigrant, uh, you know, who are part of recent immigrant communities from South Asia, from the Middle East, et cetera, and and, and Somalia and, and elsewhere. In general, those immigrants and descendants of immigrants in the US, uh, Muslims, tend to be on average uh, more educated and more prosperous than the rest of American society. That's not true for all immigrant communities. And uh, the Somali immigrant community in Minnesota, where, where you are, Leith, uh, has some very prominent professional people, but also some some people who are, who are struggling. Um, and, and I find that American Muslims uh, tend to be uh, uh, I'm generalizing here, but on average, uh, very well integrated into American society. They are thoroughly American and Muslim, and some of them are not that devout. Some of them don't pray that much. And those that do, um, I'd say the biggest difference between them and um, what I see in Muslim-majority countries is, well, they're American. They believe in freedom of religion. They believe in freedom of speech. They're very Those are very, very important values to them as they are to all Americans. Um, whereas, um, in Muslim-majority countries, uh, y- you often find that um, Muslims theoretically believe in freedom of religion, but don't actually, in practice, want to see people uh, free to consider, people who are Muslims, free to consider uh, the claims of other faith traditions other than their own. So, th- so that's, a, that, that, that's a, incidentally, a reason why I think um, <clears throat> the American Muslim community has an important role to play within the wider worldwide Muslim community to help the worldwide Muslim community think through um, what is Islam's position on freedom of belief and freedom of expression. And and American Muslims are, in fact, having a good influence on the worldwide Muslim community in that regard. I've I've seen uh, uh, that. For example, my friend Imam Muhammad Majid, who was until recently the president of the Islamic Society of North America, Um, has had a tremendously positive influence across the Middle East and elsewhere around the world on the issue of freedom of religion and freedom of belief and expression.
1: So there are a lot of news stories, and this is, uh, I know, a touchy topic, but about Islam and violence and jihad, although surveys seem to say that that is not characteristic of most Muslims in the world. So help us understand what's happening here, and especially the frequent claims that the Qur'an calls for extremism. And, and and what's your own personal experience? I mean, have you been around people who have been extremists or opposed to you because of your Christian faith?
2: So yes, I, I have had some personal experiences. And let, let, me, um, let me start with that. Um, <clears throat> during um, my wife's and my uh, 15 years living in uh, Mauritania, North Africa, we uh, received Many, many death threats uh, for no other reason than our faith in Christ. Uh, certainly hundreds, perhaps thousands, uh, most of which not intended very seriously, we thought, but some of which seemed quite serious. And um, on two occasions, we had um, lynch mobs actually did try uh, to kill me, and one time came very close to succeeding, where I was um, beaten unconscious by a lynch mob. and um, in, in each case, I was very grateful to ordinary Muslims who risked their lives to save me, and I would not be here today if it were not for ordinary Muslims heroes who, who risked their lives to rescue me from being killed by Islamist extremists. Um, and so I've seen Islam at its, at its worst, and I've seen Islam at its, at its best, um, and I'm certainly grateful to those Muslims who intervened to, to save my life. And, um, and I pray for those who tried to kill me because Jesus tells me that I should. Um, now, um, uh, this is something that American uh, Christians ask me about constantly. Um, and and I, I, I preface it by talking about my own experience so that I say if, if I'm calling for us to love Muslims and to show compassion and understanding, that's not coming out of naivete. Um, You know, I know what Islamist uh, extremism can, you know, know, the the danger it can represent. Uh, But I would simply say, uh, as you acknowledge, the overwhelming majority of Muslims are not that way. The overwhelming majority of Muslims are uh, ordinary people like you and me struggling to put food on the table, uh, struggling to... uh, to provide an education for their children, worrying about their kids, uh, trying to help uh, carve out a better future for their kids than they had themselves, uh, trying to uh, to to live as peacefully as they can. Um, and um, uh, are there things in the Quran that can be interpreted as supporting extremism? Yeah, there are. Are there things in the Quran that can be support interpreted as as emphasizing Peace and uh, peaceful coexistence. Yes, there are, and there is a vigorous debate going on within the Muslim community um, as to you know which of those interpretations is going to is the right one and which of those is going to win out. Um, I think it's not our place as Christians to say uh, to tell the Muslims here's what your text means. Uh, rather, uh, as Christians, we should be hoping that those who emphasize uh, a peaceful um, and tolerant interpretation of the Quran will be successful in making their case. And, and our position, and that's certainly what we should be praying for, and our position as Christians is to make sure that we are interpreting the Bible in a way that, um, that communicates a message, the message of love, which was central to you know what, what Jesus said was you know, the greatest commandments. Um, Regrettably, I think uh, most Muslims, if you were to ask them about their encounter with Christians, their encounter with Christianity, and what kind of message from the Bible they are getting from their interaction with Christians, unfortunately, I, you know, most, most Muslims would tell you um, their experience of Christians and Christianity has not been one that uh, puts love at the center, but actually is one that puts uh, hatred and violence at the center. So I think we need to... Um, uh even as we rightly are um paying close attention how muslims are interpreting the quran we also need to give attention to whether um we are um making sure that the message that comes across through our preaching and through the way we live in relation to muslims is one that communicates the love of jesus christ
1: that comes around to a big practical Last question here, and that is, what should Christians, and especially evangelical Christians in America, what should we be doing in relating to Muslims? There's a recent article in Christianity Today magazine that says that most evangelicals have never even personally met a Muslim. So what should we do? What should our approach be? And yeah, what's your practical advice? Yeah, well, thank
2: you, Leith, and that's probably the most important question you could have asked, and so I'm I'm kind of glad you're you're coming to it towards uh, as we near the end of this interview, because uh, I think that's um, what I really want uh, us to leave people with, and that is um, you can build friendships with Muslims. And just as um, many, if not most, evangelical Christians in this country have never personally met a Muslim, uh, many, many Muslims in this country have never had an experience of a Christian reaching out to them as a friend and um, saying, hey, I just want to get to know you as a human being. And, um, you know, uh, the most important thing you can do, I think, is to develop friendships and to show hospitality. In Although there's not one Muslim culture in the world, virtually all Muslim-majority cultures strongly emphasize hospitality as being extremely important. And, um, well, hospitality is important biblical value. Um, you know, invite someone over to your home. Uh, and by the way, when you invite them over, make sure to, to uh, set food and drink in front of them, and obviously not pork or alcohol. I think people understand that. But uh, you know, you don't have to be worried too much about getting it wrong. Just, you know, uh, just show love and welcome them in your home and say, you know, I, I want to be a friend. And one of the nice things about Muslims I think you know when as an evangelical Christian living in American society when you think about most of your uh non-Christian or non-believing uh neighbors and friends you think oh it might be rude to bring up the topic of religion they might not want to talk about it they might be offended generally you know 99% of Muslims are actually not offended by talking about religion. They're actually delighted. Now, there are exceptions, but generally, Muslims are delighted to have a conversation about faith. They'll, of course, be happy to tell you about their faith and why they think you should be interested in Islam, and uh, we can engage respectfully with that and listen to that, and then uh, respectfully bear witness to, uh, but to, to, to what we believe. But um, that happens just naturally when you just say, you know, let me get to know you as a human being. Uh, let's be friends. Um, come over to my house and we'll, we'll, have, we'll have a meal together. And, you know, if a Muslim invites you over to their house for a meal, you know, go accept that offer of hospitality, honor them by, by visiting them in their home, and you will find without your even trying uh, that conversations about um, matters of faith will very naturally arise in those, in those contexts.
1: Our guest on today's conversation has been Joseph Cumming, a pastor of the International Church at Yale University. And I'm Leith Anderson. On behalf of us all, very special thanks to Joseph.
0: The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals and sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net